17, so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. Which is the name of the beast or the number, or the of, number his of his name. Uh huh. And it says in eight, whatever it is, his number is 666. Hmm. So I'm not understanding what you're saying in that. Or the number of well, you're in very, very good company. Because this has been something that has been debated by theologians for years. For years. But what we have to look at what the scriptures say. And in some cases, in fact, a little later on uh, this evening, we're going to look at what scripture doesn't say. When we get into Armageddon, we're going to find out what Armageddon isn't. Because that's a great place to start. Let's, let's identify what it isn't. And so... So we have to take a look. Could could the mark of the beast on your on your on your hand or your forehead be the number six six six? Is that possible? Mm-hmm. It's possible. Does that scripture specifically say that the mark of the beast is going to be identified physically as the number six six six? No, it doesn't say that. Which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. That's right. And so some people, um, when they study, would suggest that there is a number 666 that identifies who the Antichrist is. And in numerology, they would, they would go to great lengths to try to establish that this numeric uh, symbol represents the person of the Antichrist. And they would be able to therefore identify who this person is before he comes on the scene. Is it more like a, a seal? Like God, God seals? That's another very distinct possibility that it could be a seal and that it is going to be very obvious. Okay. And it's just like if you're not going to have the mark of the beast in the second half of the tribulation, what are you going to have? The mark of God. What is the mark of God then? Physically. It does. It says it's a seal. And we also know that we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. I don't see a number anywhere. I, I don't know. I just personally don't know. And I don't know that anybody knows. I know that scripture alludes to it and there is going to be some distinction between the mark that will be obvious if you are following the Antichrist and the mark that will be obvious if you are following God. And it will be very clear because there will be a whole system of commerce that is set up that if you have the one mark, you will be able to participate in it. And if you have the other mark, you won't. So we don't know. We just don't know. So I just, my only purpose in bringing that up is to caution us not to just blurt out in conversation that that those following the Antichrist are going to have the Charles Manson 666 tattooed on their forehead. That's not what it says. Although it could mean that that might happen. Um, Personally, I doubt it, but I don't know. I just don't know. But we do know that it's important to get into the words of Scripture, isn't it? So that we say, so that we can determine what does it say? What is Scripture telling us? All right. Having said that, we know that there will be a mark of the beast and a mark of God. And we also know that we learned last week from, um, uh, from Scripture that Satan, once he has cast out and once he has 
been established on the earthly throne as one to be worshipped is going to be given some tremendous power. And he is going to be given power supernaturally that he doesn't have now. And that's what we were talking about last week. But really, uh, I think when I said that, I really misstated that. And it's not that he doesn't have the power. It's just that there is restraint on that power now. And so we talked about the restraint being removed. And so now Satan is going to be able to do things during this last three and a half years of the, of the tribulation that he has not been able to do. He has not been allowed to do. And that restraint is what? That's what we believe. That's not exactly what scripture says, but if we study the restraint, it's pretty clear that the restrainer is the Holy Spirit. And so then is it the Holy Spirit that departs? Is that the restraint that is removed? No. We're not, we see in scripture very clearly that it can't be the Holy Spirit that completely departs. What we see is that the work of the Holy Spirit continues throughout the entire tribulation period of time. Because there are those that are coming to faith in Christ. And in order to come to faith in Christ, how does that work? That's, <laughs> that's right. And so nothing changes in terms of how we come to, to, to the Father. There's only one way. In the tri- now, then, in the future, there's only one way. And it is through the power of the Holy Spirit in the believers during the tribulation that they are even able to survive for the period of time that they do. Of course, many, most, will be martyred. But the Holy Spirit allows, God the Holy Spirit allows this restraint to be removed and then really all hell breaks loose. Literally all hell breaks loose. And so... We saw that after this mark of the beast is instituted and we know that there are people that are going to be able to survive because, remember, there's, this is a horrific period. Remember the judgments? The seal and the trumpet judgments? So we know what the conditions on the earth are. There's no peace. Most uh, Over 50% of the population that's left has been annihilated, which means that there's still a lot of bodies laying around. Decaying. There's not enough time to get around to properly bury, nor are people worried about burying the dead. This is, this is survival. I mean, think about the horrific conditions that exist here. A third of the sea has been contaminated, and a third of the animals in the sea have, have died. And the fresh water, a third of the fresh water has been, um, has been polluted with wormwood. And uh, all of these things are happening. So we, got, we have to remember, because you know we, we live here, and I'm, I don't know about you, but... Unless we're raptured, I'm going to get in my truck. I'm going to drive home when we're done. Okay? And we can't think about it in those terms because we have to, we have to consider uh, to think every week about what the conditions are that are existing because this is real life. Okay? So it's not a horror movie. This is real life and this is what's going on. We saw then last week where we ended up was there were these angels that were pronouncing judgment. So these three angels from heaven in Revelation 14, one, the first one, says that God's judgment has come and is actually sharing the gospel message in a loud voice from heaven. The gospel is being proclaimed from heaven. Where else is the gospel being proclaimed? On the earth. On the earth. And we're going to see that in a minute. And the second angel says that Satan's system is going to fall. 
So there's all these people on the earth and they are they're going through this horrific time and yet there is proclamation from heaven that says repent and be saved. You know the guy standing on the corner? Repent. Okay? I love street preachers. Repent and be saved because it's true. And there's an angel from heaven in Revelation 14:6 that says that. And then the next angel says that that Satan's system, the Antichrist system, is going to fall. It's a warning. Okay? Don't take the mark of the beast. It's a lie. This is going to fall. Even though it looks like the world system is going to suck you in because the only way you're going to eat or drink or survive is to take the mark of the system, the mark of the beast, this angel from heaven is saying, don't do it. There's a warning. And then the third and final warning is about that mark. And if you take that mark in Revelation 14.8, it says that, that it will cause damnation. And what that, where does that word damnation come from? What is damnation? It's belonging to Satan and essentially the root of that word is hell. Okay? And so if you accept the mark of the beast, your fate is, is set. Okay? These are warnings. So Kathy Pagenstead for a couple of weeks says, why wouldn't everybody just come to Christ at that point? With all this horrific stuff going on and these warnings that come from heaven and the words that are used in, in Scripture here in Revelation are a loud voice from heaven. That means that everybody can hear. Okay? And so it, it, it's fascinating, isn't it? That with all of these proclama proclamations being made during all of this horrific stuff that is going on on the earth, that just everybody wouldn't say, oh, I get it. But they don't. And so then, the final judgments of God. The bold judgments. Now, we've looked at the trumpets. They started with the seals. And we have all of these horrific things that have happened. And they have happened to the earth and to the people of the earth because God's wrath is being poured out on sin and on evil. And the last half of this tribulation period gets really, really rough. Revelation 15 and 16 start by describing what the final, this final wrath really is. It's about the Antichrist and his followers. That's what the bold judgments are about. The Antichrist and his followers. It's very specific. And as a matter of fact, we're going to see in a few minutes that not only is it very specific to the Antichrist and his followers, but those that have the mark of God are completely protected from the bowl judgments. Interesting. Also in Scripture, these bowl judgments appear to be very rapid. And there's some debate within theological uh, confines that would suggest that uh, that rapid could be defined a couple of different ways. Rapid in terms of our way of thinking. We know that the rapid because there's only a three and a half year period left in the tribulation. We know that. But these bold judgments, we don't know exactly where they come. And some of the chronology for the last three and a half years of the events that take place, the bold judgments, Armageddon, <coughs> the, the second coming of Jesus Christ, we don't know exactly 
chronologically where some of the specific events fall. But we do know that they all fall in the three and a half year period of time. And we do know that the bold judgments happen very quickly. If I were prone to guess, I would guess that very quickly means very quickly. <laughs> During the, these bold judgments, um, can we can we believe that during that time the Christians are no longer being killed? No, you can't believe that. As a matter of fact, you have to believe just the opposite. Well, you can believe anything you want. No, the truth is, is the scripture says that that during the bold judgment period, yes, multitudes continue to come to Christ. Multitudes. And we'll see that because we'll see it right in the bold judgments themselves. But are they continuing to, to be slaughtered? Yes. They are. Okay. Yes. Yes. Uh, scripture is very clear that it will be a very, very difficult decision for you to make during the tribulation period, especially the great tribulation, the last three and a half years to come to Christ. Because in the first three and a half years of the tribulation, it wasn't that bad, although a lot of horrific things are happening on, on the earth. You, you're still able to negotiate, move around, get from here to there. In the second half of the tribulation, the great tribulation period, when these bold judgments are are, are poured out, as Scripture says, and you have to have the mark of the beast to survive, it means that if you accept Christ, you are accepting a death sentence. Now, there are some that are protected. The remnant of, the remnant of Israel, when the abomination that causes desolation came upon the temple in Jerusalem, the remnant of Jews, the Scriptures say, fleed to the hills. And Scripture calls it, they, they flee to the secret place. And we're not told what that secret place is. But we are told that God protects them. So there is a remnant of Israel that is protected. And it's a supernatural protection because the Antichrist and his armies are out after all of the Jews specifically. But they're out after everybody. Okay? Because Satan knows that his time is short. So why is God, during, the, during these bold judgments... Why is God then saving these, these multitudes? Why does he continue to save the multitudes? John sees a vision, clearly, that during this whole period of time, there are multitudes of believers that are before the throne. That means they've been killed. Okay? And so, why? Why is God saving all these people? Because it's his desire that no one should perish. Because that's his desire. At, and what else is it about God besides his desire? He's in control. He's in control. He's patient. He's patient. He's love. Because what? Love. love. That's his nature. Yeah, isn't that his nature? It's fascinating to me that God could do anything that he wants and he has this plan. And the whole time that he is going through this process of pouring out judgment on sin and on evil, and now he's about to pour and, and when it's, it's interesting because the bold judgments, there's very specific language used in, in Revelation, but they're called bold judgments. And the word bold here in the original language really means saucer. It's, it's, you know how you would put a bowl on top of a saucer? If you're not like me, but if you're proper, that's how you do it. If you sit at a table and there's all the forks that go on whichever side they're on, and there's so many of them, you're not sure which to do with which one. Okay. I just need one, really. But anyway, this, this, this word, bowl, really means saucer. 
And then we're going to see that the term poured out is used quite frequently. And, and that's part of why commentators and theologians believe that this happens very, very rapidly. We're going to see the first bowl, for example. And when it's poured, because when, it's, when you tip a saucer, there's no lip. Okay, so it's so the the word picture that we get when they pour out the judgment, it's it's out of a saucer. It just goes. There it goes. Okay, it doesn't dribble out like you could do it out of a bowl. You tip it. It's gone. So it's going to happen. It's going to happen quickly. But it's God's nature. Okay, so we we serve a holy and righteous God. You see, his nature doesn't change during all of this. But for the last several weeks, we've been looking at these horrific events and we attribute them to God because that's where they come from. And yet we see that God's nature is love. Interesting, it's a real paradox, I think, for us sometimes to think of it this way. And I think for non-believers, it's even more of a paradox. Because we hear that all the time, don't we? We'll see that a little bit later this evening. How could a loving God, and then fill in the blank. Well, God's wrath is a perfect place for those that are, that are not believing to want to ask that question. How could this holy God that you say is holy and loving allow this to happen? And we're going to see that in a minute. God is, is harvesting a multitude of people during this time. And he's harvesting a multitude of people. They're coming to faith. They are being saved. Even, even though it is his own wrath that is being poured out. I can't explain that. I can't explain that. I don't know. Of course. You know, God is also a God of justice. And hmm. there has been no justice on the earth. So when he finally brings about some justice, these horrific things happen. That's right. God is just. And we're going to see that in the bold judgments because there's an angel that even identifies, takes the time after all these horrific things are being poured out. There's a, there's a brief period of time here in chapter 16 where an angel kind of stops, calls a time out to remind us that God is, that God is just. But... But let's fast forward now into these bold judgments because now there's all these horrific things that are happening on the earth and yet there are angels in heaven with loud voices that are warning people. They're warning. The warning is coming. The warning is coming. And, and they're, these angels are speaking loudly and clearly and people are hearing the whole time. They're hearing the gospel message. And they're also hearing it from the 144,000 that God has chosen that are going throughout the world and, are, and are, they, they are evangelizing. Essentially, that's what they're doing. These are 144,000 Jewish believers that are evangelizing and God is protecting them. They don't need the mark. They are protected the whole time. The two witnesses were doing the same thing. They are continuing to do the same thing. And then, of course, there are the angels that are proclaiming loudly from heaven the gospel. Don't do it. Okay? Don't do it. See, that kind of a warning doesn't go over very well today. Because it's too easy. It doesn't cost us anything. But when it's going to cost you your life, I believe that there are many people, the multitudes, that are coming to Christ because not only do they realize it's going to cost them their life, unlike us, okay? It's real. 
It's in their face. It's every day. There are dead bodies laying on the street. There are dead bodies laying on the street. There is no peace. None whatsoever. And so Revelation 15, if you want to turn there, starts with the three things that are going to happen in these bold judgments. God's vengeance, His character, and His plan are revealed to us before the finality of His judgments. But they're not God's final judgments. They are just the finality of God's judgment on sin and on evil on the earth. We're going to see later that there are more judgments that are going to take place. We've heard about the great white throne judgment. It hasn't arrived yet. Sequentially, we're not there yet. And yet, Bible says that this, these are God's final judgments. The finality is the finality of sin and evil on the earth. Things are going to come to a close very rapidly now. Revelations 15, 1 and 2. Somebody read that, please. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went, poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly and painful sore broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. That was great, Marvin, but you were only one chapter ahead of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> 16. 15. 15 one. Okay, we'll just skip what you had. Everybody, this is Marvin. Which verse is 15, 1 and 2. Okay, that was perfect. You enunciated clearly. We all could hear you. That was a great warm-up. Okay, I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign. Seven angels with seven last plagues last, because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and his image, even the number of his name. They held harps given to them by God, and sang the song of Moses, the servant of God and the servant of Lamb. That's good. So now what we see is, in the first two verses there, we see God's, ben God's vengeance, <laughs> because it says... This is, these are the last. These seven angels are given these seven bowls, saucers. And this is the last. What? Plagues. It's the last of the plagues and it is the last of God's wrath because God's wrath will be completed. So it's important to understand that as we go through these last bold judgments because they're horrific. What happens to people? They are people that are followers of the Antichrist and they are the Antichrist and they are the false prophet. And they are Satan, specifically. That's what these judgments are about. And we see that this finishes God's wrath, but not his judgment. And so he sees with this, with it's quite imaginary here, right? This language, he sees that, that what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire. And there's, oh, there's loaded words in here uh, from Revelation because fire means, means a lot of things in Scripture. And... Um, and it says he saw a sea that was glowing like, like glass. And, and he also saw those that had been victorious. Who's he talking about? Victorious over the beast. Martyrs. Yeah, the ones that didn't take the mark. Many. 
Okay, we see we keep using the word multitudes because that's what the book of Revelation uses, the word multitudes. That means too many to count, lots. Okay, lots of people are going to be victorious over the beast. And John sees them, and he sees what's coming. It's God's vengeance. And then we see God's character, because as um, Marvin was starting to read there in verse 3, we see that they held harps that were given to them by God. And harps are symbolic of, of what we're going to be given. Not literally harps. We're going to be given the opportunity to worship freely. We'll have complete freedom because even though we have freedom in Christ here, we still have a sin nature, so we're not completely free. You see, I don't know Steve like I'm going to know Steve in heaven. Steve doesn't know me because we have secrets, don't we? Mm -hmm. Even when we know each other pretty well. Okay? <laughs> and the, 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 the three of us, Tyler and, and, and Richie and I, we, we meet every, every week together. And we pray over the church and we, we talk about church business. And, and the first half of the time that we spend together is holding each other accountable. Let me tell you what happens on a Saturday morning when you know you're going to go sit before your, your pastor and, and another leader in the church. And you're going to talk about what you did this week. It's powerful. It's powerful. And so, and, and I've probably told them 90 some percent of Everything that's true, too. But, you know, it's that last 10 or 12 percent or 8 or 2 or 5 or whatever the number is, because we're we're bound. We're not free. We're not completely free. I don't know anybody that's ever been completely transparent like that. It's very difficult. It's very, very difficult because we care a lot about what God knows. But we just, I, you know, I just don't want Pastor Richie to know. You know what I mean? Okay. So, but it's it's difficult. But but we're going to be there. There's going to be freedom in Christ. We're going to be we're going to be free because we're going to be with Him. And, and God's character here, verse three says, and they sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. And now listen to these words: Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you for the righteous acts you have revealed. There's very key words there in terms of God's character during these, this, this final, these, these final judgments, his final wrath. If you look in those two verses, the, the, the key to God's character are the words great, marvelous, just, true, holy, and righteous. Throughout scripture we see that. But we're seeing it here because this is the, precur the precursor to the bold judgments. So we've seen that John the Revelator is telling us about the vengeance that is coming, the final vengeance of God's wrath. But this is God's character. He's true. He's just. He's holy. He's righteous. And then he finishes up right before the bold judgments are poured out with what God's plan is. How many people are going to read this during the tribulation? I don't know. I I want to think a lot, but I don't have a clue. There's going to be a lot of Bibles around. There's going to be a lot of them around. I don't know how many of them are going to get picked up and read. But if they're not reading them, the angels are speaking in loud voices from heaven. And they're sharing the gospel. Huh? Seriously. That's what it says. Huh? In loud voices that people can hear. Are they going to listen? Will they be so freaked out and so narcissistic still and so into themselves and so not wanting to repent, as Scripture says, that they just won't even hear? Well, if they, 
Scripture doesn't say, excuse me, but Scripture doesn't say that as in the past when God said he hardened Pharaoh's heart mm-hmm. specifically. He doesn't say that he's hardening their hearts, but yet it sounds like it does sound like well they could probably harden their own heart. Yeah. <laughs> what's what's the primary reason a person won't come to Christ today? Their heart is hardened. What's the primary reason somebody is not going to come to Christ during the tribulation period? Their heart is hardened. We know specifically that there are individuals and groups of people that God has somehow, I don't know how this works, God has somehow provided some form of hardening to their hearts. The Jewish people are one. There are other people specifically that God hardened their hearts. But for the most part, people that don't come to Christ have already made the decision. It's just a choice. You're either going to accept or reject the truth. It's really that simple. And those that reject, there isn't a person sitting in this room that hasn't had a hardened heart. And then, during the sanctification process, your heart is in and out of being hardened, isn't it? That's what sin is. When my hard heart flares up, I justify something that I've said or done or should have done that I didn't or whatever the case may be. When I wander off, it is because I've made the decision. God didn't do that. I did that. I did that. I made the choice. And it was the same when I was not a believer. I wasn't a believer because I didn't want to be. I wasn't interested. I was way too into myself to have any place for God in my life. Right? And pretty much everybody else is the same. We all have the same nature. But God's great plan in Revelation 15, basically, 15, uh, 5 through 8, we won't read it, but it says, hang on, guys, God's wrath is about to be poured out. Now we can go to 16.1. Because we have to take a look at what Revelation finally says about the final wrath of God and his final judgment on sin and evil. Because it happens, it's bad, and it happens quickly, and these are going to be real people that are experiencing this. And these are going to be the people we were just talking about that had hardened hearts. The bull judgments usher in everything that God is going to do to make things right. This is the beginning, really, of the end. Because there are three and a half years left at this point, a little less than three and a half years left of tribulation, and it gets radically harsh. Revelation 16, 1 and 2, someone. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go before out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Wow. And it starts this first bold judgment. How is it pronounced? With what? A loud voice. With a loud voice. See, loud voice here in all of these scriptures, in the bold judgments specifically, refer to in the original language um, the signification of it's the magnitude of it. 
Okay, so when it says a loud voice, it means that the voice, the magnitude was such that it was heard. Okay, so it's about the magnitude. So think about the biggest PA system on the planet, okay, and give it a multiple of some kind because everyone is going to hear. So he heard a loud voice. And, and what is the bold judgment? What is this first judgment? Sores. Murph, what, what were the two kinds Boils of sores? What Boils kinds of sores? Boils and sores? Somebody else reading a different... Ugly, ugly, painful. Painful. ugly painful, ugly festering, loathsome and malignant. You gotta love the New King James and the King James. Loathsome and malignant. That's a that's quite descriptive. And who where are these sores gonna break out? On the people who had the mark of the beast. On the people that had the mark of the beast. And you see, this was warned. Angels from heaven said, Guys, guys, don't do it. Let me tell you what's about to happen. There's a warning. There's a warning, a loud warning from heaven. But no, many are going to receive the mark because eating is more important than God in their lives. And so these ugly, festering sores break out on how many of the people that had the mark of the beast? On all the people that had the mark of the beast. So now, not only are they living in this horrific time where all of these horrific events have been taking place, and remember, they're cumulative. Each one is stacked on top of the other. They're not one-offs. There's not one um, uh, judgment, then it goes away, and then God has another judgment. No, they're cumulative. It's getting worse and worse and worse. And so now, all of a sudden, everybody that takes the mark that was warned not to take the mark breaks out in these ugly and festering, malignant, all the terms we just used. And they have these sores all over themselves. But we have to remember that God's judgments are true and they're just. Interesting that these sores are only on the unbelievers. See, this is the first clue that we have that the bold judgments are not for believers. The bold judgments specifically relate to Satan and his followers. The Antichrist and his followers. Revelation 16, 3 and 4 is the second bold judgment that's poured out. Remember, it's cumulative. So these people are walking around on the earth with all of the other judgments that have already taken place. It's chaos. And now they're full. All of them. This is really interesting. Because some people are going to look at... Not, not you, Doris. I'll just use that for an example. Some people are going to look at folks and they're not going to have all these festering sores. And they're not going to have the mark of the beast. I'll make you think for a minute, wouldn't it? Robert, what's up with you, man? You look good, dude. <laughs> I mean, I can hear people talking like that. What's up? See, that's, that's what should mark our life now. People should look at us as followers of Jesus Christ and they should say, What's up with you, man? These are... You just lost your job and you're you're okay? Yeah. It's going to be just like that, only very physical during this time. Revelation 16, verses 3 and 4. 
The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it turned into blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. And the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. What's happening? The second bowl judgment. Water turns to blood. Water turns to blood. It's cumulative. What did we find out about the trumpet judgment before? The second trumpet judge, judgment. What happened? A third of it. The water turned into blood. Yeah, so you've got an old precursor to what's going to go on. So a third of the ocean was completely contaminated. And the sea animals that were used for food. <laughs> okay? It, you know, it's amazing how in God's creation everything is tied together. That's what I love about environmentalists. See, they get it on, on one level. Environmentalists get it. We should be protectors of what God created. Okay, of course they go to the extreme and they don't understand who, who created it and what's going to happen. But notwithstanding that, you see, uh, the environment all ties together. It's really important that the ocean is well maintained and that we don't abuse it. But a third of it was gone. Now what? All of it. 70% of the world's mass is covered by ocean. 70%. And it will be essentially dead. And probably stinking, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah, the imagery that is used in these words, and, and we don't know how God is going to do it exactly. Lots of speculation. Um, but we do know that essentially. Uh, and that's why I like the word polluted, because I don't know how God is exactly going to do it. But I do know that it is going to be, uh, it's a quagmire, it's going to be a mess, and it is going to be filthy, stinky, horrific. 70% of the earth. 70%. But isn't that going to affect the Christians too? Huh? At the blood in the water. That, yeah. Yeah. I thought this was supposed to be... The bold judgment was only on the Antichrist and his followers. Well, they're going to see it, aren't they? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah but they'll be at the resort. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Here's the question. That's a that's a sixty four thousand dollar question because how many of them are there going to be when this bold judgment is poured out? We don't know. We don't know. Conceivably, not many. Conceivably, just the day before this bowl judgment is poured out and this happens, conceivably. This isn't what the Bible says. But there'll but, be the 144. There's going to be the 144 that don't have the mark. There's, there, are, there are going to be people, multitudes are coming to Christ. It is a regular happening. Remember in the, in the Gospels where it says that 5,000 were added to the number that day. Okay, And I, I see that, but I see that like, like 5 million were added to their numbers that day. People around the world are coming to Christ because... Uh, because they, they've made the decision that they that it's true. They go, it's, they had this revelation. It's true, people are saying. And forgive me, they repent, they come to Christ, they don't take the mark because what's precipitating this? You're either going to take the mark or you're not. And they're going to see that people have been taking the mark and they're able to survive. And if you don't take the mark, you're not going to survive. You can run, but you can't hide. I think a lot of the Christians though, will be like when they were in the desert that God will be feeding them and giving them water mm-hmm. and shade and yeah. all that. His, his own 
there is a clue in Scripture that there are, a, there are classes of believers during this time that are protected. But nowhere in Scripture does it say all the, all the believers are protected. In fact, quite conversely, it says that most, that's that word multitude that we have to keep going back to, a number that is uncountable, the multitudes are coming to Christ. So many, 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 many people are coming to Christ. So are they affected? Sure, some of them are affected. We don't know how many or for how long. Because you don't live very long, you are <coughs> martyred. If you if you take the mark of God, you are martyred. Except for the 144. Except for the 144 and the Jewish remnant, who have, quite frankly, yet come to Christ. But they are the Jewish remnant. We'll see what God does with them later. And so, and so this this judgment is poured out. And yes, it affects everybody. But the people with the mark of the beast are festering with their sores. And it's miserable. And so Revelation then 16, 4 through 7 says, What if you were a child and your parents made you take it? Mm, that's a good question. <laughs> What's the answer? Sure, that's a really good question. I'm waiting for you, teacher, to give me the answer. <laughs> Well, you know, the interesting thing about getting the answer to that is the babies and the children are going to be taken in the in the But are people still going to be? Yeah, there's still going to be children born. Yeah, there will be children. That's real. That's fascinating, isn't it? So, is there going to be a procreation process that's going on after the rapture takes place? It's fascinating, isn't it? So scripture is relatively silent on that topic. And so what we have to deal with is we have to deal with you've heard about the debate of the age of accountability, so if a child if a child is taken and um, and, and so there's there are principles in scripture that we have to apply to those kinds of questions because we don't have a specific answer because God didn't say everybody under 12 is not quite going to be intellectually competent enough to deal with that so I'm going to take care of them. But what does what do all of the principles that we find throughout the New Testament and the Old for that matter come to me as a little child have faith like a little child everything is about like a little child because Obviously, the, the first will be last and the last will be first. And, and there are all of these principles all throughout Scripture that tell us that God will provide for those that are unable. Not unwilling. Unable. And so many of us would believe, of course, that the little children are protected. And some of us would believe that I find it very difficult that during this three and a half year period of time that there are going to be a lot of, of there's going to be a lot of procreation. There is going to be so much chaos on the earth that there will be few people that are watching TV at night <laughs> thinking that, 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 you know, that they're, uh, well, honey, you know, there's, there's not going to be a lot of that going on, I don't believe. I could be totally wrong. But, I mean, I mean, think about it logically. This is survival. And now during this period of time, especially, especially, because what's happening? It is survival. I'm telling you, people are going to, people are even, people are not even going to sleep much during this period of time. Your body shuts down anyway, because it's a survival. 
In any event, to answer the question, we are not told. And then we have to we have to interpret scripture based on the whole of scripture and the principle of scripture says that those that have some kind of a mental incapacity or those that are young or those that are uh, unable, uh, God is clearly going to protect. Because what do we know of God's nature? He is holy, compassionate, loving. I mean, we can list all of his attributes, can't we? Okay, so let's get into worrying about that. I wouldn't, that that would be the farthest thing from my mind. And I think that when when we get to heaven, we're going to see little ones and recognize them, and they're not even going to be little. <laughs> and we're going to see old people when we get to heaven, and they're not going to be old. <laughs> I don't know how old you're going to be, Ernie, <laughs> Marvin, but, but you and Ernie are going to be a lot younger than you are now. I can assure you of that, because that's what the scriptures allude to without telling us quite specifically. So, in Revelation 16, 4, the third bold judgment says this. Susan, would you read 4 through 7? 4 through 7? Please. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the water say, You are just in these judgments, you who are and who were the Holy One. Because you have so judged, for they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord, God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Back to these bold judgments that are on the people that have received the mark of the beast. And, and, uh, and God's word tells us that, that, that all of the fresh water now, not just a third of it, but all of the fresh water has been contaminated. And that judgment on those that have received the mark of the beast, those that are following the Antichrist, is just. Why is it just? Because it says that they poured out the blood of those that have accepted Christ. There's not many of them around. They're murdering these people like, like you can't. I think it's hard for us to even imagine because if five million come to Christ today, there is going to be war. Remember, there is war going on. There is no peace anywhere on the planet. It is survival of the fittest. There's no food. There is famine. Now there's no fresh water. The oceans are completely contaminated, and people are killing each other to survive. People are killing each other to survive. And if you don't have the mark, you're not going to survive anyway. Because at this particular point, there's very little fresh water. Now there's none. Or close to none. That's this bold judgment. And are the Christians, are the people that are coming to Christ today, when that happens tomorrow, are they affected? Oh, you better believe it. There's no, there's no fresh water. How does God protect them? He has a place for them. Because their salvation is secure, just like yours and mine. They come to faith in Christ. But this judgment is the next two-thirds of the fresh water. This is happening quickly. We're at the last half of the tribulation. Things are not going to last very long without water. Without fresh water. Think about it. you got to think about you know, the practical application of these judgments. Because these are real. This is not hypothetical. Yeah. All right.
So this is, this is real stuff. Now, it doesn't say that there will be zero fresh water. It says that the angel who had authority of all of the water told, says to us that, that, uh, that, that the Lord is just. And that he had poured out his bowl on the rivers <coughs> and springs and they became blood. It doesn't say 100% of the water is contaminated. I think that what we have to, though, uh, interpret here is that the vast majority of the fresh water is now unavailable. If it was tough before to get fresh water, when a third of the springs were contaminated, now it's really tough. Now people are really, you talk about water wars, now people are killing each other for a drink. People are killing each other for a drink. So how could a God of love and grace and mercy do all of this? Look at the contrast. These are judgments that are being poured out on sin and evil. And look at the people that are being poured out on. And what is their response? Those people that are the followers of the Antichrist. Curse God. We're talking about hardened hearts here. So we're talking about people that are going through this judgment. And the only thing that they can think of is. All right, God. So self-absorbed, even in all of this trauma and all of this horrific circumstance. And their response to God is to curse him. It's no different. The circumstances are radically different. But it's no different than what we experience when we walk out of the doors. It's the same thing. Men and women will be cursing God because these judgments are poured out. And they won't even listen to the angels speaking loudly from heaven. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Come to me in faith. See, the salvation message is going to be loud and clear. More so than it is now. And they won't accept it. Many will. It will cost them their lives. It's interesting at this point because this angel takes pause for just a second to remind us that God is just. Don't forget, even though all these horrific things are happening to those that have already made the decision to follow the evil one and to curse God, okay? Don't forget that God is just. We're being reminded of God's character. I'm reminded of those martyred saints that are in heaven that remember they asked God the question, when are you going to avenge God? When are you going to avenge our death? They killed us. These were all of the old, you know, they killed every prophet. Lots of Old Testament saints were martyred. Now look at how many saints are being martyred. Millions and millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions are being martyred during this period. And I'm reminded of those martyrs of old that are asking God, God, when are you going to avenge? And I can't help but think the answer is right now. God is avenging the martyr's death. Deaths. At this point, that's what's happening. Revelation 16, 8 through 9, the fourth bowl. Now it's not affecting the people so much. What is the effect of the fourth bowl judgment? 16.8 says this. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun. And the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. 
They were seared by the intense heat and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent. The, you know, the, the sun is exactly where it's supposed to be. Otherwise, we would all be burned up anyway. And remember in the other plagues that some of the light was taken away. So there's not as much light. And so there's not as much there's not as much uh, agriculture that's happening during this period of time because of the previous judgments that were taking place. And now all of a sudden, the sun that is shining is, is, um, is, is, is being allowed to scorch people. Who is it scorching? The people that are the followers of the Antichrist. And what do they say? They curse God. They curse the name of God. What does that imply? And what else does it imply? That's a, that's a fact. What else does it imply that they are cursing God because the sun is scorching them? That they refuse to repent to him? That they refuse to repent. And why are they refusing to repent? Because they have the mark. Well, they have the, they have the mark and they've already made that choice, haven't they? And they're not going back. Because they don't want to acknowledge who God is? They don't want to acknowledge God. They do not. They know that the wrath of God is being poured out. This scripture clearly tells us now that those that receive the mark are saying, yep, it's from God. So curse you, God. Curse you, he says. They say. This is global warming on an epic basis here. Okay? And stop and think about this. If the sun is climate change on an epic basis but it but seriously if this if the sun is being allowed to scorch people because it is so hot that's a hot sun and i would say that if there are any polar ice caps left they're gone pretty quickly they're gone pretty quickly and so it's it is hot and on top of that then the fifth bold judgment is poured out revelation 16 10 and 11 someone the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. Men gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. But they refused to repent of, to repent of what they had done. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. Okay, we'll stop there, though. And we'll stay with the fifth. The fifth bowl judgment is, is a judgment that is poured out where? On the throne of the beast. Who's the beast? The Antichrist. Antichrist. Where is his throne? In the temple. Well, it was in the temple. It was in the temple? In the temple? The temple's sealed. The temple is sealed? Okay. We kind of glossed over that. Well, not yet. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to come back to it. Okay. The fifth angel, this is the fifth bold judgment, poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. Well, just just a minute ago, there was a bold judgment that was poured out and the sun. What was left of the sun was so hot that it is scorching all these people. They're festering with sores already. And there's no water. And the oceans are stinking like you can't believe. And, and they're, they've got a... We don't even know what this sunburn looks like. They are scorched. And if you understand the, the genesis of that word, scorched, it means that even clothing isn't protecting them. It is so hot that their skin is, it's, it's now boiling. It's the color of Susan's um, blouse there. It's, it's, it's red. It's, it's, I, I can't even imagine what these people look like. And then the next bold judgment, God turns everything to darkness. He turns it 
to darkness. The throne of the beast. Now, there's a lot of debate on what the throne of the beast is. Is the throne of the beast Babylon? Because Babylon is, is where the central power and the central control point is, which is a very physical location in a very physical country that exists very physically today. And that is where Scripture says that the Antichrist is going to hang out. Okay, And so some say that power seat is his throne. Others would say, well, maybe not quite so much. Okay, we, we have to, we're reading a little in. If that's some people would believe we're re- reading a little bit in. If we think that that is where where uh, 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 this 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 bold judgment is poured, because if it's poured, does it really matter where physically it's poured? Because what the result is is what matters, and the re- and the result is is that the earth, the entirety of the earth, is plunged into darkness. It's fascinating to me that darkness is used throughout Scripture to represent what. Evil sin. Okay, you're either in the light or you're in the darkness. Scripture is replete with examples of light and dark, Jesus and Satan, the forces of evil versus the forces of good. You can go all the way back to the garden. That's where it starts. It's interesting how God uses darkness both figuratively. And literally all throughout scripture. But right now we have to take this literally. We don't know where that saucer, where that was poured. Okay, that's the image that we're given. We don't know specifically where it is, but we know what the result is. The kingdom of the beast is thrown into darkness. What is the beast's kingdom? At this time, isn't it the whole world? The whole earth. Because he's in charge of everything. He's in charge of the military. He's in charge of religion. He's in charge of the economy. He's in, Whatever there is to be in charge of, the Antichrist is in charge of. So empowered by Satan. That's it. His kingdom is the earth at this particular point. Because why? The restrainer is gone. The restraint is gone. See, sin is having its way. This is what sin full-blown looks like. We know that full-blown sin leads to death. But this is right before the death part. Okay, because these people are living in it. They're living in it. It's just horrific. Hard for us to imagine. But we know that that death is just absolute misery. And yet, the angels tell us that it is just. For those that have accepted the mark of the beast. See, neither grace nor wrath will move people's hearts to repentance. Yeah, you would think they'd be cursing the Satan for giving them the mark instead of cursing God. Hmm. Well, if the the Antichrist, uh, you know, what's his objective? What is the Antichrist's objective? Oh, besides, ultimately, that's his tactic. To be God. To be God. And he is going to, boy. I gotta think that he's feeling pretty good about this, even though he knows what the outcome for him is going to be. See, he already knows the outcome. Mm-hmm. See, the Antichrist already knows the outcome. And yet, look at this restraint that is removed, and what the pow- look at the power he has. No man in the history of the world has ever been given this kind of power on the earth, and he has the power, supernatural, through Satan, to control all of this. It's an incredible thought. In a horrific environment. It is the antithesis of what it is going to be when God makes it all new. It is completely the opposite of everything that is going to be made new. Completely. 
The sixth-fold judgment in Revelation 16:12 says this. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. Now we're going to get into more imagery. But the, the Euphrates River was dried up, and then John sees these spirits that look like frogs that came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Boy, there's a, there's a, a trinity of evil that we, like to, that we like to think about. Okay, those three. Whew. There's a lot of power behind that image you read as well. They are demonic spirits that perform signs and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the bad toll of the great day of God Almighty. And Jesus <laughs> says, look, I come like a thief. We've heard this before, haven't we? Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. Verse 16. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called... What? Armageddon. Armageddon. <coughs> what is the significance of the Euphrates River? Anybody know? Major, major waterway. You've been there, haven't you? Yeah, he probably flown over it. <laughs> yeah, and so we have the Euphrates River. Anybody know where it starts? Turkey. That's kind of where it is now. Okay, starts in the mountains of Turkey. It's a big one. Okay, and and it runs from Turkey. Uh, we have a map. We could follow it, but it, it's about eighteen hundred miles before it, before it empties out into the into the into the sea. Okay, and it's really interesting because the Euphrates is referred to several times in Scripture. So are a couple of other very important rivers. But the Euphrates here is dried up, and it's dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. So I want you to think about the east side of the Euphrates, of the Euphrates River, because what's on the west side compared to what's on the east side? Not not much land. Okay, yeah, Israel, Jerusalem is on the west side. And on the east side, it goes all, there's a lot of territory on the east side. Okay? Yet, take a look. And, and, the, and the north, okay? So, think about this now because we already know that the Antichrist has conquered at least three nations and there are others that he has been conquering and there's war that is going on and, and we know that the great armies are going to come together and they're all going to come to this place. Israel, it blows my mind that we have this little postage stamp sized piece of dirt over there in the Middle East and it is the most important piece of postage sized stamp dirt that there ever has been created and it's God's plan and his purpose and his will. To use that little tiny piece of dirt that we now call Israel in in magnificent ways. In magnificent ways. And the Euphrates River runs right down through there. And the interesting thing about the Euphrates River is that when we take a look at it, anybody remember where we first see the, the Euphrates River come up in Scripture? In the Garden of Eden. Yeah, in the Garden of Eden. God's Word tells us that the Euphrates River was used to, to for... It was irrigation. <laughs> okay? It's, it's amazing, isn't it? So we see this Euphrates River being so important. It's, it's split. Actually, the Euphrates, the Euphrates River is, is one of the four headwaters that is, that is split from that river that ran out through the Garden of Eden. Where's the Garden of Eden? Was it a physical place? Mm -hmm. yeah. Where is it? Hmm. 
Well, we have a clue. If you would like to go to Genesis, don't go there. Genesis 2.10. You can write this one down. I think it's on your thing. Maybe it's not. I didn't write it on your thing. Genesis 2. 10 through 14. Read it before you go to bed tonight. It talks about the river. And it talks about what's there. You said it already. The Garden of Eden. The first clue that we have, the Garden of Eden is a very specific literal place on the planet that God created for his creation before there was sin on the earth. Is that it's somewhere off of the headwaters of the Euphrates River. So somewhere between Turkey and where it dumps into the ocean, there's the Garden of Eden. Which is, you think about it right now, if you look at an aerial photograph of all that stuff, and you look down there and see all that sand, you think... Wow, things really changed. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? It's absolutely crazy. That's where the garden is. Somewhere. 1,800 miles long. So somewhere along there is where God placed Adam. Before he said, ah, that's not good. We would have Eve there. Oh, that was good. Very good. Everything was very, very good. Okay? Until the bad. And here's the end of the bad. We're fast approaching the end of the bad because the Euphrates River is going to be dried up for the kings of the east. What's going to happen? Who are the kings of the east? Yeah, you see, what's happening is, is that we're seeing that the Antichrist and the false prophet are seducing the kings of the east. We're going to see later in Scripture also the north and also the south and also the west, all of the kings. And what does that mean in today's language so that we can relate to it? All the powers of the world. Okay. So the Scriptures talk to us about the ten kings okay, and ten kingdoms. And we can pretty closely identify that that's going to be part of Russia, and that's going to be all the that's going to be all the countries that are around the, the the Middle East. But there are going to be people that are coming from a long ways, and one of the things that's going to happen here is that this bold judgment is going to dry up the Euphrates. But the, what difference does it make? Because it's not fresh water anyway. It doesn't really affect anybody, does it? Or does it? Well, if it's dried up, it highway. If it's dried up, it can easily be crossed by foot soldiers. See, Armageddon is next because what we think about the Armageddon is what? Who has an idea of what Armageddon is? Armageddon is war. Anything else? It's a horrible wipeout. It's a holocaust. Anybody else? Because this, uh, let me see here, in the sixth bowl judgment, let's go back there real quick. It says this, um, that its water was dried up to prepare a way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three impure spirits, and he goes on to talk about this gathering of the kings together to the place. Verse 16 in chapter 16 of Revelation says... That they gathered the kings together. You might want to underline this if you like to write in your Bible. To the place that in Hebrew is called. Wait a minute. I thought Armageddon was a battle. How do we reconcile the book of Revelation that says Armageddon is a place? Is it a place? It's both, isn't it? Yeah, both. It's both. How can it be both? Well, like Gettysburg. 
Gettysburg is a place, but there was a great battle there. I love smart people. (laughs) Scripture says it's both. Because what we see here in Revelation is this bold judgment is really a seduction for those people that are going to be called because they are going to come for not a battle, but Armageddon is battles. Because we have to keep in context now the whole of Scripture. Because Armageddon is both a place and an event. And so the place is very much somewhere along... There, it, Armageddon is someplace. Because what does the word Armageddon mean? Anybody know that one from your Sunday school times? Har Megiddo is the, is, is the word... Mount of Megiddo. That the problem is that there's no mount ever in the history of, at least in recorded history, of a mountain in that region called Megiddo. Isn't that a plain? Ah, there is a plain of Megiddo, though. So it's conventional wisdom to suggest that Armageddon is somewhere in the valley of Megiddo, if you will, in the plains there, which is about 60 or 80 miles north of Jerusalem. Very interesting. Things yeah, are beginning. The Garden of Eden was. And the Garden of Eden is somewhere <laughs> within a thousand miles or so of that. <laughs> but the interesting thing is that the river is dried up in order to set the stage. The sixth bold judgment is setting the stage for these battles that are going to take place. And when we take a look at, um, at these kings, these kings are going to come from all over the place. And they're going to convert. What do we know about what happened in Israel already just three and a half years ago? Or four, wherever we are in the timeline of the last three and a half years of the, of the tribulation. What happened there to begin? They were, they were, they were divinely protected from what? The Antichrist and the battle. Yeah, a huge army invaded Israel, this tiny little place, with, this, with these multitudes of people in this army invading this little place, and God defeated them. Now what's happening is, is this last bold judgment, the time has now come that the kings that are under control and authority of the Antichrist are being called in. But we're going to see some really interesting things during this Armageddon study because we're going to see that not all these guys like him so much. Isn't that interesting? Because for as much supernatural activity is going on during this period of time, the Antichrist is still a man. He's still a man. Pick the most narcissistic, egotistical man that you've ever read about in history or know about. Um, and, and, and think about who that... Who, I didn't say say it out loud. I said, think about who that person is and how they conducted themselves in terms of being in charge. And you've seen nothing like this man, but he's still just a man. And there has never been a dictatorial situation in the history of mankind that has succeeded. Why? Because God's in control. And, and, and why else do, do dictators... Yeah, because they're hated. There's no freedom. There's absolute control. 
And you see, we were created for something entirely different than that. See, our nature is, unfortunately, after the fall. We have a fallen nature. But God didn't create us that way. God created us in His image. And to have His character. And that's what we're fast approaching. We're fast approaching in this period of time in future um, in, in, in the history, in the future of, of, of being made like God. Now, the church is already there in their glorified bodies. That's us, because we won't be there. In our glorified bodies, we are already in the presence of the Lord in our glorified bodies because we've been raptured. And you see, if we were there, we'd say, oh, we get it. We get it. Okay? But here, we don't get it. We don't get it. Because we're so saturated with our sin nature, even though we've been regenerated, even though we have been through salvation, we are new creatures in Christ. It doesn't mean that the old nature goes away, does it? That's why I saw one of you do that to a driver on the freeway yesterday. I won't say who it was. I'm just kidding. But that's our old nature that comes out, right? There will be none of that where we're going. We're going to close with what Armageddon isn't. So that next week... Will we be here next week? Yeah, next week we have one more week before Thanksgiving. Well, (laughs) we might not be. But let's end with what Armageddon isn't. Because we now know that Armageddon is both a place and... Let's pluralize it if we could. Events. It's a place and events. In the biblical record, it is a place... And it's just like Gettysburg. I'm going to use that one if I can. It's just like Gettysburg. It's a place and it is events. And so we have to see what it isn't. The first thing that it isn't, it is not a battle. And we're going to see that biblically. It is not a singular battle. Nowhere in Scripture can we find Armageddon being defined as a battle. That's the first thing it isn't. The second thing it isn't, it is not World War III. It is not. It's not World War III, nor is it the end of the world. I don't care which movie you've seen. Armageddon is not a battle that is the end of the world. It just isn't. And it's not... The final battle. There's more. There is more. So, those are the things that Armageddon isn't. Okay? And next week, we're going to take a look at what it is. And let's really rush forward real quick. Because during Armageddon, when does the second coming of Christ happen chronologically? Now that we're to the point where we are going to talk about the place and the events of Armageddon. The end of of Armageddon? Okay. The end of the tribulation? Is the end of the tribulation and the end of Armageddon the same thing? No. 
Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I got to study a little more and find out. I'll let you know next week. I'll just have to let you know next week. Um, and you know, lastly, the 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 thing that's interesting, and then I, I promise we really will go. A lot of what we've been looking at, and a lot of what we will look at, is both um, written in the prophets and in Revelation. And a lot of Revelation is very difficult to understand. Amen. <laughs> And so, and I think that, you know, as I plagiarize this story just a little bit from one of the books that I'm, that I'm reading, um, I think, I think it's, it's okay to lighten it up just a little bit. And, I, and I'd like to do that so we go home on something that's just a little bit lighter. And so here's the story about these guys that are going to seminary and they want to become pastors and they're studying and it's intense. Okay, seminary can be intense. And so to blow off steam pretty much every night at about 9 o'clock, they go down to the gymnasium and they go down there and they have like a little three-on-three basketball. You know, and they run up and down the court, sweat, and, and, and blow off some of the steam because, especially because <laughs> at this particular point, they're studying Revelation. And it's, a, it's an intense study of trying to understand the words and the imagery and, and, uh, and, the, and the language of, of Revelation. And what God is trying to speak to us is, is difficult for them. And they're, they're struggling through it. And so they play basketball between 9 and 10 pretty much every night. And the custodian comes at 10 o'clock because at 10 o'clock he cleans the floor. But sometimes they're not done yet. And so he sits in the bleachers and he waits for them. And oftentimes it's 10 or 15 minutes after 10 before they're finished before he can clean the floor. So one of the seminary future pastor guys goes over to him and says... Hey, buddy, how's, how's it going? He says, good. He says, what are you reading? He looks up and says, Revelation. He says, Revelation? He says, whoa. He says, do you understand it? Yep. <laughs> and the seminary students look at one another. He says, yeah. He says, you understand all of it? Yep. Could you explain it to me just in summary? Because I know that the seminary student is trying to trip him up. And the custodian closes his Bible and says, Jesus wins. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's important because sometimes we can get... We, we can get really, it's almost scary, isn't it? Because it's hard to understand what God is trying to teach us. And what we really need to know at the end, because Armageddon and the, and, and, and the end and the second coming of Christ is coming right away. Okay, and, and all of a sudden, all of, this, all of this hell on earth that has been taking place is going to make sense to some, but not to others. And people are perishing now even. And all of that is heavy, isn't it? All of that is heavy. And yet for a believer, sometimes we just need to go out into the world and tell people, you know, it's just Jesus wins. <laughs> so, so let's come to Jesus. So. Robert, would you close us in prayer and go home to him?